0: Hello everyone, and welcome to The Conqueror's Podcast, episode 3.3, The Code of Hammurabi. This episode is a short bonus episode in which I wanted to answer some questions about a subject that I myself wanted to better understand for a long time, The Code of Hammurabi. Questions like, how big is the code? How many laws does it contain? What's so special about it? And how come so many people have heard about a 3700 year old law code in the first place? For instance, for a long time, I myself thought that the main reason that the code of Hammurabi was so special was because it was the oldest surviving law code in history. Well, I was wrong. And why are these questions so important, as I see it at least? It's because I'm willing to bet that most of the people who know or heard of a ruler called Hammurabi know him due to the fact that he was that guy after whom a famous law code is named. And still, other than some facts like that it's old, that it's from Babylon, it's that code with that an eye for an eye thing, most people don't know that much more. By the way, if any of you guys are listening to the podcast for the first time, our previous episode was about Hammurabi himself and his reign, and I can tell you that he did far more than just develop his famous law code. Among other things, he was, of course a great conqueror. That's why I included him in this podcast. Also, in this episode's description, I've added a link to a page containing the code translated to English, for anyone interested. Okay, some background. The Code of Hammurabi, a set of 282 laws, was developed during the first half of the reign of King Hammurabi of Babylon, sometime during the 18th century BC. Although you don't expect a king to be wholly involved in anything, and no doubt many people were involved in the code's development, from reading about Hammurabi and his character, you get the feeling that he wasn't that sort of guy that would simply delegate tasks to others in such an important matter and simply supervise, especially in his early days in which he was mostly focused on internal affairs and reforms. He would have been very involved in the code, dictating the laws, discussing them with his scholars, taking great care in them covering as many issues as possible, as Hammurabi seems to have taken great care in spreading and implementing the code, sending it to as many parts of his empire as possible, and genuinely believing in the justice it provided for his subjects. Now some details about the code itself. As I mentioned before, Hammurabi's code is not the world's oldest law code. The oldest law code known to us is the code of Urukajina, a ruler of another major Mesopotamian city, Lagash, which predated Hammurabi's by more than 500 years. Another notable law code was the code of Ur-Namu, founder of the third dynasty of Ur, we mentioned in a previous episode. That code is considered remarkably advanced for its time, as it was the first to institute the concept of fines of monetary compensation for bodily damage. These law codes, and a couple more, all predate the more famous law code of Hammurabi. One thing that they share in common is that all of them originated in Mesopotamia, and no doubt were influenced by very similar societies and mindsets, and each obviously influenced the other. Second, the level of detail to which the code went, aiming to address as many aspects of society, even the most mundane, was unprecedented. I'll give a few examples from the code itself. In an event his son, the son of an officer or drafted man, by reason of his infancy, is incapable of taking possession of his father's property, the son's mother shall be given a third of the field and garden of the father, and shall be charged with the maintenance and support of such son until he shall reach maturity. If anyone forces an ox not belonging to him to labor, he is to pay a third of a mine of money in a penalty, therefore. Another one is, if a workman adopts a child for the purpose of rearing him and teaches him his trade, the child cannot be demanded back again. If the wife of a man occasions her husband's death because of her love for another man, she shall be deemed guilty of murder and put to death. The third aspect of the code I wish to talk about is that although it was written in a relatively direct, plain form, the code was very advanced for its time. It included one of the earliest examples of the presumption of innocence. Also, it addresses subjects like divorce, property rights, the prohibition of incest, mandating an ancient form of minimum wage, and was the first to make a wide distinction based on classes of Babylonian society, adjusting the punishments based on social status and gender, of slave versus free, and man versus woman. For instance, A crime committed by someone of a high status towards someone of a lower status could require less compensation, and vice versa. Above all classes were the gods, an affront to whom was usually punishable by, you guessed it, death. Now, for my biggest question. Why the hell is it so famous? Not just compared to older codes, but also compared to other later ones. I don't know about you, but I don't know that many people who would know who Justinian was, let alone his law code, Justinian's law code, which was far more influential to our modern laws than Hammurabi's. What made it so special that so many other law codes, some of whom it was inspired by, are almost totally forgotten, while its fame, or infamy, endured for many thousands of years? The first reason, and in my opinion, the most important one, is that Hammurabi, a successful king and conqueror, whose influence stretched far beyond his own city, wanted to be remembered first and foremost as a lawgiver and for his code. He and his PR put a lot more emphasis on his role as a lawgiver than a great conqueror, in stark difference to most conquerors throughout history, and obviously he accomplished that. We have records that show that for millennia after his death and the fall of his empire, the code of Hammurabi was widely known and held in high regard throughout Mesopotamia, and its people remembered the mythical king of old, Hammurabi the lawgiver, and even after being lost, it still influenced all the law codes of all empires that came to dominate that area. A personal example, in my opinion, for this fame, is that ever since I remember myself, I have known the term an eye for an eye, and associated it with some Babylonian king that reigned long ago, called Hammurabi, and it's the same for most people I know, even people who don't give a damn about history. The second reason is that the code of Hammurabi is the embodiment of what is called law of retaliation. In some cases, it really is as simple as an eye for an eye, in others, the code is more sophisticated aiming to limit the damage inflicted on an offender to the same damage or as close to it as possible to which he caused. To do so, the code had to quantify the damage each crime would incur. A few examples of it from the code. Any person convicted of the offense of selling property stolen either from the city or the temple shall be put to death, and the person who receives the stolen goods from such offender shall likewise be put to death anyone failing to keep his irrigating dam in repair, and through his neglect and laziness, a break occurs in the dam, and his neighbor's lands are flooded by the overflow of the water therefrom, he shall compensate the owner of the damaged land for his loss of grain or other property. If anyone betrothes his son to a girl, and then the son associates with her, that is, accepts her in marriage, and the father of the son is afterward convicted of having committed adultery with his son's wife, the father is to be bound and thrown into the water. If the surgeon has opened the tumor on the eye of a slave with an operating knife, and the eye is destroyed, the surgeon is to pay half the price of the slave to the owner. And of course, anyone destroying the eye of another shall suffer the loss of an eye as punishment Therefore. Last, another reason that no doubt made it so memorable is the sheer brutality of some of its laws. Laws like, anyone assaulting his father shall suffer the loss of his hands. Another one, if a builder builds a house for anyone and does not complete it firmly, and the house that he has built collapses and kills the owner, then the builder shall be put to death. This law also means that if the collapse kills the owner's son, then the builder's son will be the one put to death. I mean, think about it. If your dad was a builder, and by mistake he caused the death of his client's son, then you have to die? That's one hell of tough retaliatory justice. Even after the death of Hammurabi, and the fall of the old Babylonian empire in the 16th century BC, the code proved so influential that it endured as a legal guide in that region for centuries. And even as rule over Mesopotamia repeatedly switched hands, both the code and Hammurabi were respected and even held sacred by the people. In fact, fragments of the laws have been found on clay tablets dating to as late as the fifth century BC, and no doubt every ruler of the area that came afterwards was influenced one way or another by the code when issuing his own laws. Eventually, however, the code itself was lost to history and was mostly forgotten by the world. But just like the sources about Hammurabi himself that we mentioned in the previous episode, the code of Hammurabi was eventually preserved for modern-day archaeologists to discover by an act of war. In the 12th century BC, Shutruk-Nakhonte, the king of Elam, attacked and sacked Babylon. As a sign to the high regard in which it was held by kings and commoners alike, a magnificent giant stele on which the code was written in Akkadian, was taken with great care as a trophy by the king to his capital of Susa. It was rediscovered there by French archaeologists in 1901, and the laws engraved on it were translated. Today, that stele is placed in the Louvre Museum, for all the world to see and admire it, and Hammurabi's laws made more famous than ever, with an eye for an eye, probably being quoted in every language there is, an achievement beyond Hammurabi's wildest dream. That's it for the first bonus episode of The Conqueror's Podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it and press the subscribe button. Your reviews and comments are most welcome. You can leave them on a the podcast's Facebook page called The Conqueror's Podcast, a YouTube channel with the same name, or on iTunes or iTunes or any platform you guys use to listen. You can also contact me directly at theconquerorspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com Until our next time!